Our scripture lessons today, for those who will be listening later, come from Joel chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and 12 through 17, Psalm 103, verses 8 through 14, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 through chapter 6, verse 10, and Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, and 16 through 21. If Mark Zuckerberg has his way, the internet will become a virtual reality world where products and services can be bought and sold, some of which will remain in the virtual world, and some of which will show up at your door in a few days. Virtual reality is the most immersive technology man has yet invented, more so even than the highly addictive games that some young people practically dedicate their real world lives to. Online video games and virtual reality are fine in and of themselves, but for too many people, and this will only grow as the technology improves, these worlds are much preferred to the real world. Some people earn great riches and power in these unreal worlds, which they cannot possibly replicate in the real world. Even though I don't think Jesus had virtual reality in mind when he said it, his teaching in Matthew 6 has an amazing parallel. He urges us to store up treasure where it matters most. We don't normally think of Jesus as an investment advisor, so this requires a little unpacking. In Matthew 6, Jesus teaches three parallel lessons on the importance of the motivation behind our actions. There's also a lesson on the Lord's Prayer stuck in the middle, which our reading skips over today. It just so happens that the three lessons correspond to some of the most important components of Jewish ethical behavior, giving to the needy, prayer, and fasting. Each lesson is divided into the example of the hypocrites to avoid and the opposite example to follow. Let's start with the example to avoid, which was likely a direct attack on the Pharisees, though not only on them. Verse 2 says, When you give to someone in need, don't shout about it as the hypocrites do. Verse 5 says, When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. The last section starts with verse 16, which says, When you fast, don't make it obvious, as the hypocrites do, who try to look pale and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. All these negative examples have a few things in common. First, they were all good, good things done in public so as to earn admiration from others. Second, each of these examples ends with the hypocrites having received their only reward, which is the praise of others. And third, those who behave this way are condemned as hypocrites. I want to address each of these commonalities in turn. Notice that the hypocrites aren't condemned for evil actions. They are condemned for evil motivations. Their actions are actually good. They give to the poor, they pray, and they fast. All of these things are good things that the Torah demands of obedient Jews. And in each instance, the positive example begins with, but when you. In other words, we shouldn't avoid doing these things. The warning is not for the actions, but for the motivation behind the actions. 
Those who do things for the praise of others are receiving their only reward. Who doesn't like praise? Of course, we love it. It makes us feel good. But notice the hypocrites aren't condemned for wanting a reward. In fact, in each instance, Jesus teaches that those with proper motivations will, in fact, be rewarded. The difference is in where the reward is found. Hypocrites get their reward now on earth, while Jesus' followers get their rewards both now and later in heaven. I'll come back to that in a minute. The last commonality of the negative example is that everyone who behaves so as to receive the reward of praise is condemned as a hypocrite. No one wants to be called a hypocrite. Jesus uses this term a lot, particularly as recorded by Matthew and mostly in chapter 6 and 23. The difference is that in chapter 23, Jesus is specifically addressing the Pharisees. A hypocrite is one who says one thing but does another. That applies to Jesus' teaching in Matthew 6 in a less obvious way. The hypocrites are actually doing good things, but because their motivation is wrong, the good is essentially undone. The evil intent is greater than the good deed. Jesus doesn't just tell us what examples to avoid. He also instructs his followers how to give, pray, and fast. Verse 4 says to give your gifts in secret. Verse 6 says, but when you pray, go away by yourself. And verses 17 and 18 say, but when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. Then no one will suspect you are fasting. As I said earlier, Jesus isn't telling his followers to avoid giving, praying, and fasting. Quite the opposite. We are to do these things. We just need to have the right motivation when we do. We are to do good works in secret. It's just between us and God. You might be thinking, but we give and pray publicly in church. That's true. But I don't think any of us are going to, going, are doing either of these to receive praise from others. No one is impressed when you put something in the offering plate. It's expected. Pretty much everyone does that, and many who don't are giving online. And we all pray together at Epworth. Public prayer is one of the main things we do when we gather to worship. No one is impressed by anyone else's prayer here. Again, it's expected. Like online gamers, or where virtual reality will soon be, the hypocrites are storing up treasure in the wrong world. Ours is a world that will pass away. Not that there's anything inherently wrong with treasure in a non-real or temporary world, but Jesus ends his teaching with a dire warning. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart and thoughts will also be. If our focus is on what we accumulate in this world, both intangible and non-tangible goods, then we are guilty of being of the world instead of pilgrims in it. This is the world we see, smell, and touch. So it's a constant struggle to live into the truth that it's the eternal realm that matters most. It's a realm we can only see with our eyes of faith. 
There is one final aspect of this teaching that needs to be explored, which I touched on earlier. Jesus, the investment advisor, is admonishing us to store up treasures in heaven. In light of what he told the rich young ruler, you might think, don't worry about treasures at all. It's not important. However, here he has flipped the script. Jesus is telling us to use our earthly treasures to win treasures in heaven. He isn't saying to give up on all reward. He is saying that the eternal reward in heaven is what really matters. And Jesus broadens the definition of treasure in heaven to the point of mystery. How does prayer lead to treasures in heaven? How about fasting? What kind of treasure is he talking about? We can't say anything beyond our rightly rightly motivated pious behaviors will result in some form of reward in eternity, but also in this life. Jesus isn't teaching us to do pious behavior strictly for its own sake. We will be rewarded in some way. It's even a popular debate among philosophers today as to whether there is such a thing as good behavior without a reward because ethical behavior simply feels good, which is a form of intrinsic reward. As I discussed in a sermon not long ago, does not wise, godly living lead to better outcomes in this life? The fact that godly behavior has its rewards has more to do with God's nature of being one who blesses than with any eternal reward system set up to motivate right right action. As we embark on the season of Lent and the reflection and self-imposed hardship that entails, it is fitting to start with a check of our motivations. Why are we doing this? Is it heartfelt worship and spiritual growth that we are after or praise of others? Or if not the praise of others, perhaps it's keeping up with the Joneses. Merely following tradition isn't a great motivation, though in the activity one may be surprised by a deeper reality we didn't know was there all along. I think more than ever, we live in a world devoid of struggles, hardship, and pain. I'm not saying we are totally free of these things, but let's face it, aren't there huge rewards for any government or business that can reduce hardships? In fact, that's kind of built into the very idea of progress. Now, with nearly 2,000 years of progress since Jesus walked the earth, maybe we today are in greater need of Lent than anyone ever before. And as we start our own Lenten journeys, may we do so with right motivations, knowing that the God who sees what is done in secret will reward us for all eternity. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.